Welcome to the Reality Check Podcast. I'm Zachary Phillips. So what I usually use this podcast for is sort of a bit of riffing, a bit of self-therapy, a bit of a sort of a, a mirror or a springboard of my thoughts. And this episode comes at a time when I've been having a bit of a mental health downturn. General feelings of basically depression, you know, mental mental space is very unclear, issues with self-worth, issues with pointlessness of life, um, all of that sort of stuff. And it's probably a function of the 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 COVID situation and lockdown and the the abnormal way that we're all sort of being forced to live at this stage. Um, as well as combined with a and a, a sort of an observation of my general mental state that I typically go up and down over time. You know, my mental state is trending upwards, but there are significant downturns at times and sort of going through that. But the point of this episode that I wanted to get into was looking at like the, the intersection between different diagnoses or, or really the problem of finding a diagnosis for myself and what that actually means. So to put it into context, if you've been following my, my work for quite a while or, or read my book Under the Influence, you'll have an idea that my past was, wasn't, you know, there was, a, there was a bit of trauma and a bit of neglect and a lot of like issues down that path. And that's led to a variety of mental health concerns over the years that I'm still sort of dealing with and working through. Over that time, however, I've seen multiple psychologists and specialists and people to sort of help me through. It's like, well, let's look at what's going on with that, what, what's, what's been happening. And different diagnoses have been thrown up. And I'm going to suggest the three that sort of seem to fit my symptomology fairly well. And I'll, I'll go into each one and sort of talk about what it means and why it, why it could be applied to me. Um, basically that there's been a threefold suggestion. One has been that I potentially have, uh, BPD, borderline personality disorder. The second potential was adult autism or Asperger's syndrome. And the third one was complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And having researched and looked into these three conditions, there's a massive crossover what I want to sort of highlight is no matter which diagnosis you sort of prescribe to or what you get diagnosed, the, the crossover, the fact that there's similarities between different conditions means that you can sort of get lumped into one or lumped into another. And if you get put into the wrong one, or even if you get put into the right one, the diagnosis itself can be quite limiting. So if you're told you've got a condition that you can't recover from, because based on that condition, all you can do is learn to manage it or people with that condition don't get better or whatever else the, the diagnosis itself prescribes you to have. That's now you. And, and from a, from a personality or a personal perspective, I, I really dislike that thought because I'd, I'd like to believe that I can improve my life through action by doing self-care, meditation, exercise, therapy, education, all of those sort of things, I can and will improve. And from a practical sense, 
if I look at my functionality, if I look at my physicality, if I look at my relationships, like I said at the start, there is an upward trend. However, diagnoses, having having a particular diagnosis does sort of help to understand why why you are a certain way, why your personality is a certain way, why you respond a certain way. So there's, there's, there's many, there's many parts of this that I'm going to, going to get into. The first one is, well, let's, let's, let's break down the, the three disorders here and like, look at the similarities and the, the, the differences. So borderline personality disorder is categorized and I'm, I'm going to, I'm not going to do each one the most justice because I'm not a psychologist. I'm not, I've only got my own uh, memory and my own <laughs> knowledge of, of what I've been told from therapists and what I've looked up. So it's by no means a <laughs> clinical explanation, but relation, there's a, there's a lot of issues with uh, relationships. There's issues with um, splitting on people. So for example, being really, really into someone or something and then all of a sudden not. There's issues with uh, self-worth and depression and those sort of things. There's issues with uh, trust. There's issues with understanding um, social dynamics. There's issues with uh, falling in, um, falling for people or having a connection with people that's uh, far more extreme and far too quick compared to the norm. Um, issues with over-exaggerating interpersonal conflicts, issues with impulsivity. And to an extent, I can relate to all of those symptoms with with the symptomologies that I'm going to explain. I I can't help but stress the importance of meditation to help you to step back and detach and look at them and be able to recognize in, in yourself, in myself, when I'm feeling those ways. So for me personally, when I'm considering myself with BPD, I look at it and go, okay, I know that I have a tendency to overreact. I know that I have a tendency to split. I know that I have a tendency to uh, feel victimized and judged. So when I feel those ways, I've learnt to detach, step back, meditate, take a breath and not make important decisions in the heat of the moment. It's sort of like I know that I can't quite trust the, the, the heightened and extreme emotions that I'm feeling in that moment. It's like, I want to run, I want to hide, I want to leave the situation. This person is wrong to me and I need to go or they need to go. But in reality, from a more, you know, I, I use the word sober perspective because it's almost like when I'm feeling that way, I'm not quite myself. I'm like, it's almost like I'm inebriated. Not that I'm actually inebriated, but there is a level of a, of, of a different thinking that when I calm down from it, it's like I've sobered up and I can see it clearly. So what I've learned now is to recognize when I'm making an extreme decision, either, you know, meeting someone new, it's like, oh, this, this person's the best. This thing is the best. I want to, I want to be all about that. That's not healthy. That's not normal. And similarly with something that I've been doing for a while, I've learned to go step back and go, hmm, that's not really the best. That's not really, uh, it's not really good to, to, to just cut someone off or to leave or to, you know, to, to, to consider that they may have changed their opinion on, of me for no good reason. It's this sort of fear of abandonment. So from there I'm going, okay, I've got to step back and just take that breath. But once again, I can certainly relate to 
these sort of feelings. The second potential diagnosis would be adult autism or Asperger's syndrome, or depends. The new DSM is calling it level one. People that are on the spectrum now, I work in the disability field um, with autism, and there's a history of it in my family. So there is a potential genetic link that would highlight the potentiality for an ASD diagnosis. And for, for people on the spectrum, and it depends depending on the level, it will be specific focus on a specific interests. It will be um, issues with understanding social cues and sort of communication styles. It's issues with socialization. It's issues with um, communication down the sense of tone of voice and uh, tonality and understanding the to and fro of conversations and making friends and um, eye contact and uh, having like a special interest that you're more than happy to spend a lot of time on. Now, once again, uh, the actual the actual di- the actual description of the symptomology is far more detailed than I can elaborate on now. But once again, I can certainly relate to these stories. I'm in the process of listening through a book called Asperger's Syndrome by Tony Atwood as part of my work, and I'm looking back over my past, and I can certainly relate to a lot of the symptomology. Now, because it's, you know, most diagnoses or most things are on a spectrum, and I sort of look at it and go, well, I don't quite meet, well, I certainly don't meet the full criteria for a diagnosis, but I can certainly relate to specific aspects. And combined with the genetic predisposition, it's starting to make a little bit of a connection. It's starting to make a little bit of sense. But then it's like, okay, well, is it BPD or is it ASD? Hmm. Because when I re- when I read a book like I I Hate You Don't Leave Me um, by Kinsman and Strauss, and I'll put the links to these books if you want to read into uh, in depth in, into these topics a bit more in the show notes. But if I read in, if I if I you know read those two books, whichever book I'm reading. I, I start start seeing the, the 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 traits in myself. And as a side note, when I was doing psychology in university, they said be careful not to uh, self-diagnose because you'll be able to see yourself in everything. Apparently, it's a, apparently it's a common uh, medical student thing to self-diagnose yourself with all these abstract and weird conditions. However, when I look at it through the lens of the therapy that I'm getting and the suggestions that they're saying, I can certainly relate. So the final, the final suggestion has been complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And that seems to put, it seems to summarize the, the, the things that I'm going through and combines with my past. A lot of the time, complex post-traumatic stress disorder is, presents itself similarly to both BPD and ASD in the sense that Complex post-traumatic stress disorder is caused by lots of low-level traumatic experiences. So it's not like one experience of hyper-level trauma or, you know, it's not like a massive car crash or a war experience or something like that. It's it's lots of and continual low-level feelings of being unsafe, shifty things, dodgy things, just just never quite feeling satisfied or calm or able to just be particularly during childhood, but can obviously through other areas of your life too. 
but for me at least. And when I look back at my past with my father, I remember just this constant feeling of unease, this constant feeling like he wouldn't be able to protect me or he can't protect me or, you know, the people he's inviting into the household aren't safe. So I can certainly relate to that. And then I look at that and go, okay, how do I relate that to the symptomology that I'm experiencing? So in terms of, say, the the ASD diagnosis or the ASD symptom, sorry, of not looking people in the eyes. Well, the complex post-traumatic stress disorder response to that is, yeah, you're, you're not looking people in the eyes because you're scanning the room, because you're looking for danger, because you want to stay safe, right? The feelings of abandonment, the feelings of trust issues that would be characterized in your BPD. It's like, well, yeah, in, in your past, you haven't had a experience of continual safety. People have come and gone. The world wasn't a safe and secure place. So then you sort of like talk about like that attachment, the idea of attachment theory being that maybe you've got an insecure attachment and that's, you know, combining with the, 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 the triggers and the issues of the past. One of the, the best books on this topic is The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kurt. And it sort of goes down and breaks down the impact of how you, your, your body literally holds on to that trauma. You, you've got to work through it in a, in a multitude of ways. Um, primarily through um, meditation and through exercise and particularly through martial arts in the sense that you're sort of reclaiming your body, which I sort of was driven to naturally. However, you you, you look across the, those those three conditions and, you know, on any given day, I could feel more down one path, more down the other path. I know that at times I feel quite triggered. At times I feel quite like, I don't have the tools or the capacity to engage socially. I feel like I, I I struggle to socialize because I just want to be doing things on my own. I feel like I will take the words and actions of people quite significantly out of out of uh, out of context or to the extreme and struggle to see reason there. I found that I've I'll, I'll have like sort of inner arguments in my mind. I'll, I'll interact with someone or I'll be thinking about interacting with someone and then I'll, I'll find myself sort of, you know, arguing with them in a way, not, not arguing with the real person, but like in my mind, they'll say this, I'll say this, they'll counter this, I'll do this. And then I'm just losing myself to this rumination. And once again, there's a, there's a massive crossover in symptomology between these three. So where does that leave me? It's, from a, from a practical perspective, from, from a me living perspective, it, it becomes this thing of, well, whatever I've got, I need to keep functioning. I need to continue. I need to just get, get my life in order because no matter what I've got, I'm still me and I've still got to act. I've still got to do, I've still got to work to feed the family. I've still got to keep myself sane and mentally, you know, going. So I'm not suicidal. I've still got to, you know, function. But then it becomes, it's like, well, how do I know what I've got? Because if I knew what I've got, I would be able to better address it. If I was able to go definitively, it's ASD, it's BPD, it's complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay, that's what I've got. This is what helps those sort of people. I can be on my way. The problem is, is that all three conditions have a tendency to present to a therapist 
differently depending on the person's disposition at the time. So from the ASD perspective, they'll present to the, the therapist with learnt responses, intellectualized responses, going, okay, well, they're saying this, so my, I, don't, I might not understand empathetically what the, the best solution or the best response to this, this, this question is, but I know that in the past I need to smile, I need to look at the eyes, I need to do all of these things, and you can sort of fake it. With BPD, it can be that game-playing thing. It's like, well, I'm going to show them that I'm this or that, or depending on the mood, I'm going to act in a certain way. And with uh, complex post-traumatic stress, the symptomology might not be triggering me at the moment. And what that leads to being is, is that if you meet a therapist, they're only seeing you at a certain time. And the time that they're seeing you is primed to produce certain results depending on the person. It's like... One time I saw a therapist and I was in a really bad, depressed, horrible mental state and they made a bunch of assumptions. The next time I saw a different therapist, I was feeling fine. No, no factor in my life at that moment. Mental state was clear. So what does that lead? It leads me to consider that the therapy session isn't observing me as a whole. It's observing me in the moment. And in that moment, I'm presenting down one path, but that might not be a true representation. And on top of that, you've got to consider the, the therapist's ability to know that as a concept, that that's happening. I would hope that they're trained down that path to realize it's like, hey, you're only seeing this person right now. Uh, but from my practical experience, particularly with psychiatrists, they tend to judge very quickly. There are some good ones, but there's a lot of bad. And that's led to some false diagnosis, false judgments, and a lot of medication issues that I'm not a big fan of. I'm a fan of medication that works, but I'm not a fan of just, here, have a pill after, you know, 30 minutes to an hour of meeting me once. Um, a couple of my early psychiatrists tried that on me, and they saw me for maybe 30 minutes to an hour, two of them, and they both suggested, you should try this medication or that medication. And I, I refused because it was like, well, you, you barely know me and you're putting me straight on medication. We haven't talked through the reasonings behind it, talked through how to get on it and get off it. It's just, it's just seemed like this, uh, this, this, this sort of weird default response. And then there's the issue of therapists becoming specialists in a certain field and seeing every problem as a representation of their niche. So, I saw a therapist that was specifically dealt, dealt with dealing with uh, people with um, past stress disorders. And she was considering that I might have basically a, a lesser version of multiple personality disorder because I'd present with sort of different moods or different ideas because it's like, hey, I'm feeling great and bubbly and I feel like I can take on the world. And then other times I feel very depressed and other times I'm, you know, worried about my past and yada yada. It seems like it's like I've got like the 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 burgeoning on um you know different personalities but to a different therapist that was an expert in bpd or an expert in something else they would see that same exact presentation if they were in the room with me and would prescribe me as being something else and that to me is a little bit scary because if you're an expert in one field it's sort of uh, might be easy to suggest that that person's got it because you can easily go, oh, that, that example of how you said that or the way that you described how you were feeling at home or you, you, your, your, your potential issues with, with people could be due to this. And the other thing that I haven't even fully explored down that path is, you know, maybe these three diagnoses could be 
out of whack. It could be a combination of them all. It could be something else like ADHD that would also explain, you know, an inability to focus, uh, jumping between topics, uh, impulsivity, right? So <laughs> I guess what I'm saying with all of this is that diagnoses can be hard. And, it, you know, for me, looking from an internal perspective, like I said, I've, I've had to learn to treat myself completely as an individual and find my own thing that works for me. And there's a strong analogy to exercise. When I first started exercising, I would follow the, directly follow the complete advice of proven experts because I knew nothing. I didn't know how to lift. I didn't know how to run. I didn't know how to do anything. However, you know, 10, 15, whatever years later, I've been doing it for that long. I've learned what works for my body. I've learned that if I lift too heavy in certain lifts, I, I injure myself. I've learned that some sorts of exercise I really enjoy so I can do it more. I've learned others, it's a bit of a grind, but it's really good for my body. I've learned that if I don't, you know, stretch, I'll feel stiff, etc., etc. Certain diet choices work best for me, whereas other diet choices make me sick. So I'm learning the, the machine that is my body and best adapting the maintenance and growth of that machine through exercise. So now I realize in terms of mental state, I need to apply that same logic to my brain, to my mind. The only caveat is, is that I'm seeing out of my brain, right? I'm, I'm seeing myself. I'm trying to judge myself from inside myself. It's like when you look at someone else's problems with relationships or work or mental state or whatever, it's very easy to see a solution in the sense of it's like, well, just leave that person. That person's toxic or, well, of course that job's great for you or, or, you know, yeah, that person seems like they're not that good. You need to, you need to like kick them out of your life or perhaps you should approach them. And what I'm getting at is it's, you can look at someone else's life and because you're detached from it, the answer can be clear. You're having all these health issues. Okay. Quit smoking, stop eating so much sugar and start exercising. It's easy to say that of course, from the external perspective, but that is what the person needs to do. The problem is, is when you're looking at it from your own perspective, particularly with a mental state, is that you're seeing it through that perspective. The analogy I like to consider in this path is it's like, it's like a drunk person trying to determine how drunk they are. The drunk person is drunk and the thing that's judging their drunkness is itself drunk. So their judgment of themselves will be hampered and hindered. So when we apply that to mental states, like, well, how depressed am I? The depressed person is judging the depression. The, the anxious person is judging the anxiety. The mentally unstable person is judging the mental instability. So for me, it's like, well, how do I know if it's working? How, how can I judge that? And that's sort of where I'm facing it. So the only way I can do it is to look at my overall trending mental state and to look at my functionality. And then just sort of keep adding more knowledge, adding more knowledge, adding more knowledge. But then the problem with adding so much more knowledge is that you start re-questioning yourself. It's like, well, I'm reading an Asperger's book. I certainly relate to that. Then I might read a CP, you know, complex PTSD book. I can relate to that. I can relate to the BPD stuff. So where do I fit? Where do I fit on this balance? It can, it, it's enough to sort of make you go insane. Because like I said, you can only see it through the perspective of your own eyes. It's like, it's like, it's like you've got you know, red cellophane over your eyes and you're looking around the world and you're looking, 
not realizing that the world is colored because that's all you've ever seen. So it's like, well, what should I be aiming for? What is a quote unquote normal mental state? Or maybe more specifically, what is my best mental state that I can go for? I don't necessarily know what that is. So then I'm left to just continue. How do I continue? I continue to do the self-care. I continue to do the therapy, to read the books, to exercise, to meditate, all of those sort of things to ensure that I'm maintaining stability and functionality. But I guess, I guess there's, there's, there's two things. It, it feels like a continual endless grind to maintain sanity, which itself is uh, somewhat dis- disheartening. But also it's a bit lonely in the sense that if I knew what, what was wrong with me, if I had an answer, if I, if I was like, okay, this is exactly what's going on. Here's how you deal with it. Here's people that have dealt with it. It would be far easier for me to manage because right now I, I feel like there's no sort of community that gets it. You know, I can sort of relate to the three conditions communities in a sense and I can embrace it, but I just don't quite feel connected. I don't quite have that. At least that's what I feel now, <laughs> right now in this moment. Uh, whereas in, in other times I'll be looking back at that and going, yeah, of course I can connect to this. Of course I feel that. Of course I have a shared experience. So I don't know. I appreciate you uh, listening to my, my ramblings on these topics. Um, and if you can relate to this talk in general and you want to connect about it maybe we can start getting deep and maybe if you you've you've had this similar issue of the, the unsure diagnosis and that sort of stuff connect with me shoot, shoot me a message on social at zach p phillips um anywhere on social media or on my website at zachary-phillips.com and we can chat and connect and all of that good stuff and perhaps we can make something of it hey anyway cheers mm-hmm.